it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 494 for July 7th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts, back with Programming by Stealth, episode 37 of X. We're getting on up there, Bart. We really are. I'm kind of surprised because um, I'm, I'm calling back today to episode 24 and it's like ages and ages and ages ago. <laughs> yeah, really. That was October of 2016. This is going to be one of those things where you say, I told you, Allison, right? <laughs> I remember saying it would take us a while. <laughs> I yeah, you remember did. saying that. So I've lived up to that. That's for sure. So I've been torturing Bart in the background about some things, and his solution is to do something highly unusual. What is it they say? And now for something completely different? Uh-oh, that means I should explode if Monty Python is saying, <laughs> go boy, um, let's try not to explode. No, so I, basically I, we came to a conclusion. Um, I have been making an assumption, and uh, a wrong assumption, a, a dumb assumption, but in my defense, it's an assumption that's been in my head, for ne- which scared me for 20 years. <laughs> I started programming in 1997. Okay. And that's, that's somehow affecting ago. what you're doing to me today? Well, it is, because I have been making the implicit assumption without thinking about it that developer docs just make sense to people because they make perfect sense to me and they have done for the last 20 years. And every time I badger you with, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> My, I was like, but it's in the documentation. It, it does not compute. And then it just occurred to me, but I had to learn to read those developer docs 20 years ago they were useless to me, which means that today they're probably useless to you. Well, I, you know, useless, useless might be p- pushing it a little bit. Highly confusing. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and it occurred to me, I just assumed that this would be crystal clear to everyone. And that, that, that's a dumb assumption. So I figured we should actually just knock that assumption on the head. So I had, pl- I had half the show notes written for a normal show. And then I just went, no, we'll... That will become PBS 38. So our automata are on pause for a week, um, as is our experimentation with HTML uh, input validation. That's on pause. That's going to be PBS 38 now. A week or and two instead, weeks? Two weeks? An installment. An installment. An installment. And I always, okay. I keep, bi-weekly is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> next time. Not next week, next time. Um and so what I actually did, so if you go to bartb.e forward slash PBS and go to the show number 37, what you'll find is a short blog post with some links in it and a video. So it's actually a screencast of me doing what I'm about to do with you on my own using ScreenFlow and, you know, in the, you know, zooming in and zooming out and highlighting things and callouts and all the cool stuff ScreenFlow does. And so that's sort of like a pristine version of this. However, it's a pristine version that's missing one of the vital ingredients that you add to this whole programming by stealth experience, which is the ability to ask the questions everyone is shouting at their iPod <laughs> or iPhone. <laughs> right, right. IPod. By the way, so, I want to say that when you told me you were going to learn how to use the newest version of ScreenFlow and do a screencast in what was essentially like two and a half, three, three days, days <laughs> I told Steve and I just laughed uproariously that there's no way that could be done. <laughs> I did use ScreenFlow before, right? Because okay. I, I checked. Because I got to pay the upgrade price because I, I am the proud owner of ScreenFlow's 1, 2, and 3, and now 6. <laughs> so it obviously had been a while, but it wasn't, it wasn't completely alien. It's actually, it's amazing how similar the interface still is, only better in every way. It's like the same, but better. They've just polished everything. It's fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, 
So initially, I was only going to do the developer docs from soup to nuts. But actually, I'm going to take a slightly further step back and just share with you my tool set and my workflow. And as I say, it'll be a screencast. So you're watching my screen now and the people can watch the pristine pre-recorded version. So I think we should probably just get stuck in. So way back in PBS 24, which was titled Creating a JavaScript API, we sort of raced through a lot of this. So if you scroll down through PBS 24, you will eventually find the magic word JS doc. Right, there it is. Look, we have JS doc and it says... This is where you explain to us how to write documentation uh, for using JSDoc to to take comments out of the code and create the documentation automatically. Yep. And I distinctly remember that. Yeah. And we talked about installing Node so that we could actually run the JSDoc command because the JSDoc command is a JavaScript, is actually JavaScript, which we're using to write the documentation of our JavaScript by sucking it out of JavaScript files. It's extremely self-referential in bizarre and interesting ways. But so we'll see that in action. So I actually want to take you from soup to nuts from, okay, here is some JavaScript code. How do I write the doc comment? How do I turn that doc comment into HTML? And when I have the HTML for all of my doc comments together, how do I interpret this sea of information that has just been produced because of course you have a doc comment for every function for every variable one for the um, prototype as, as a whole one for any namespaces involved so you have all of these doc comments and they then get assembled into this website with a big sidebar with lots of buttons in it and text all over the place <laughs> yeah it's that interpretation part i have a little it, it just yeah. a little bit of trouble with right so i want to i want to go there but i want to go there all the way from zero so I'm on a laptop here where I actually do not even have the code for our uh, for the classes for the um, automaton we're working on at the moment. There is no code on this laptop, so we okay. really are starting from zero here. So the first thing to say is that I am a huge user of a fantastic and free tool called GitHub. So actually, the place I'm going to begin is GitHub.com forward slash bbussehots, which is my GitHub page. So GitHub easy is for you to spell if you. S- It is easy for me to spell. Um, It's free to use if you are publishing your code open source. So I think nowadays they let you have three private repositories, but you can't publish something not open source. And there's a limit on how many private repositories you can have. And then they they have paid tiers starting from as little as $7 a month, I think is what I'm paying. And And GitHub is a what? It is a, okay, so Git is a source control system. So it keeps versions of code in an organized way. And you could run your own Git server. Uh, and it, you, well, you can. But the thing is, that's effort and hassle. Whereas GitHub is a really well-polished web interface. It's like the Gmail of source control. <laughs> okay. So you can have email without Gmail. But why have it with standalone apps and things when you can have it in a really nice web interface? Okay. And so GitHub is the web, the webby version of Git. And they have also created a really nice, entirely free desktop client to even bridge the gap between the web and your computer. Yeah. So they really have covered all the bases. So if you go to my GitHub page and you go to repositories, you'll see everything I have published. And it seems to be in reverse order of what I most recently published code to. So right up at the top of the list, Bartificer underscore CA underscore JS. That is, in fact, I'm letting you cheat slightly because that is my answer to next time's homework. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Totally not doing the homework now. 
if you want to do a sneak, basically, if you want to have a little peek, you know, at the answers at the back of the book, this is the back of the book. Okay. So if you were here and you had set yourself up a free gate account, the magic button for you to push is this one here called fork. What that will do is it will take a snapshot of all of this code and copy it into your GitHub account. Oh, so and I don't you, even have to copy this down. I just press that button to cheat out in the homework. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't just get the current version of the code. You get to see every iteration the code has been through in the entire history of the project. Okay. You can then make changes if you, say, spot a typo in my documentation. And you can actually send what's called a pull request to me, asking me to pull your change into my copy of the code. Oh, so a pull request really means I want to push you something? It means you're requesting I pull from you. <laughs> Which is sort of like me pushing to you. <laughs> yeah, so depending on whose point of view you take it from. So from my point of view, it's a pull request. From your point of view, it's a push request. But the button is labeled pull request. Pull request. So in, in it just seems in alignment with everything you've taught me. Whatever I think it should say, it's going to say the opposite. <laughs> I tie myself in knots from time to time as well. Going, push, pull, what way do I want? Where do I want this code to go? Right, right. Anyway. Um, you can also, if you don't want to set up a Git account, there's a button here called clone or download. If you click that button, there is a download zip file button. If you have the desktop app installed, there's an open in desktop app. You can copy the URL and then you can go to the terminal and type the actual raw Git commands like an animal and paste <laughs> in that URL and then you can download it. Um, so there are lots and lots and lots of ways of getting this code, but GitHub is an amazing free tool that gives you, actually, let me show you GitHub on a real project where it's actually doing something for real. So HSXK PassWD, that actually has some history to it, right? So there are seven branches here. So whenever I'm working on a new version, so 3.7 is not out yet. Well, there's actually a branch here where there is code. So this, this is a copy of the code with all of my changes for 3.7 in it. And then I just click over to master. And this is the real live code. So if I want to hmm. fix a bug, I basically have parallel tracks of my code, as many as I like. And I can hmm. switch over and back between them. And I can push changes between the branches. So it's full source control. And at every step of the way, you can see every single. So there's 125 commits here. I could go back to any point in time in those 125 and see what the code looked like. And you'll also see that there are other names other than mine show up from time to time because other people have contributed to... Oh, look HSX at that. In fact, and certain Alison Sheridan shows up here somewhere if we go back for... Oh, I think you gave me credit for changing some documentation once. Yeah, oh, there oh, I am. Right. How exciting. Error messages for clarity. Silica has committed 25th of May 2015. It's a while ago then. <laughs> but basically the full history of that project is here. And you'll see that 16 people have forked their own copy of it. 109 people have started and 18 people are watching it. Sweet. And there are eight open issues for me to fix before I can release version 3.7 less sweet but okay at least i know what i <laughs> right 13 closed so i've fixed 13 bugs eight bugs left anyway so that is github so i'm gonna get rid of that web page now uh, so i'm gonna show you the free desktop client that github just give people and it's cross-platform so the same no, client right, course same looking be. client runs all over the place so at the moment the only code i have checked out here is hsxk passwd and you can see what i mean about parallel branches so we have the version 3.7 work in progress next to master and you see that there's been some changes to master so what he's showing me is basically t literally a, a fork a line that's now two parallel lines instead of one mm -hmm. interesting okay so anyway, what I want to do now is I want to click the plus button here and I want to clone 
bartfacerca.js clone and it will ask me where to put it. I have a lovely folder called from GitHub where I clone all of my repositories to, so clone. So does that mean you're copying it down uh, or are you look? have you created a second version on GitHub? There is now a second version on my Mac. So Git is a distributed system. So all of the versions have come down to my Mac and they are currently in sync with what's up in the in the cloud. I can make changes on my Mac. I can version them here locally. And then when I'm happy, I do what's called a push, which is where I shove the stuff back up to the cloud. So the cloud becomes in sync with my desktop again. Okay. I see in the desktop client, I see a sync button and a pull request. You would think a, the sync would cause that push? The sync will do. The sync will do a push, but it will also ask the cloud if the cloud has seen anything new. Oh, okay. Okay. Because in theory, right, stuff yeah. could be coming in from all over the place. Um, so the history tab lets you see everything that's happened in the past. The the, the, win, the more important one is the how many changes. So if I were to edit a file, it would show up here immediately. I can then type a description of what I've changed, and then I click Commit and Sync Master, and it shoves it up to the cloud. And hey, presto. So the nice thing is there's nice little shortcuts here. So open in terminal, because we're going to want a terminal window. So there we is. There's all of our code. And also repository open in Finder. So there's all of our code. So to be honest, we don't really need you anymore. Goodbye, GitHub. But it's a nice, it's a nice friendly GUI because Git from the command line is challenging. <laughs> and if it's challenging for you. Yeah, because I... I don't even want to so, see it. As I say, I've been programming for 20 years, so I'm old enough to remember using something called CVS, Concurrent Versioning System which was evil, and I did all that in the command line. And that was replaced by something called SVN, uh, which had a cute turtle icon. And I did all that on the command line, and it never it never broke my heart. And then I moved to Git, and I just can't get it on the command line. I need a GUI. <laughs> so I, I use a GUI, and I'm happy, and I'm fine. So here is the code, which looks exactly like it looks in the zip file that I would have given you, except the homework is done. Um, so it's basically the zip file, and then I did the homework. So we want to talk, okay, so that's two, of, that's two of my tools. Another very important tool is obviously a code editor. We're going to edit code. We should edit code in a code editor. So we've already talked about one that we both like for a lot of stuff, which is Code Runner. And I love Code Runner for the HTML stuff. But for hardcore real programming, I still use another free open source one called Komodo Edit, which is on version 10. Um... One slight caveat, Komodo make two products. They make a free open source product, which they use effectively like Red Hat use Fedora to test all their cool stuff before they roll it into their paid for enterprise product. Hmm. Komodo Edit is the free open source avant-garde version of Komodo. Avant-garde? Avant-garde, ahead of the... Ahead, ahead, ahead of, of the, its time, okay. Well, the avant-garde is, you know, the way you have a rear guard, the opposite of a rear guard is the front guard, but in French, it's the avant-garde. That's okay. the term comes. In, in art, it means people are at the cutting edge. Okay. So anyway, the forward-looking version is called Komodo Edit, and the paid-for version is called Komodo IDE. And when I say paid-for, I mean $500 per seat paid for. Ooh. So Komodo Edit doesn't do as much as Komodo IDE, but you know something? It does a lot, and it's free and open source. 
when you go to download it, I'll have a link in the show notes. Just be careful you don't download the wrong one because you don't really <laughs> want to download Komodo IDE and then have it nag you after 30 days to pay it $500. Like, you don't want that. Just get Komodo People in. will say some bad words about BART. They will. So it works off the idea of projects. I'm just going to say new project. Um, and I'm going to browse. I say I'm going to browse. I'm far too lazy to browse. This is a Mac. I'm just going to drag and drop from the finder. And I'm just going to name this Bartificer dot ca dot js and i can't spell okay so there's all of our files in the sidebar i can expand out any windows i want or any folders i want to and so here is the code now wait how did all that code get into the you just created a project and all of a sudden all your code was in it yeah so i created the project and saved the project file into this folder here so there is now a file called bartfisserca.komodo project, and it just loads the folder that the project is in. Into okay, the so if, if you create the project inside a folder full of stuff, that stuff is now in the sidebar. Yep. Okay. Which is exactly what you want. Okay. It's kind of the way Atom works. I've seen, not with the project, but that stuff in the folder is just there. You don't open stuff, it's just there. The nice thing is you can do per project settings. So if let's say you're working with multiple teams and in one team, the rule is it has to be two spaces for a tab and in another team, it has to be four <laughs> spaces and in another team, it has to be eight. And some teams insist you simulate spaces, sorry, tabs with spaces. You can set everything up per project and you can just flip between projects and all of your settings will jump around perfectly. Yeah, let's um, see your brain move along with it, but okay. No, it's pretty good, actually. And the other thing it has is that it understands, um, it actually understands JS doc comments. So it'll actually, if you hover over things, it can actually give you bits of the documentation as you go. And it can help you auto-complete more stuff because it has that extra little bit of brains. Hmm. So it's quite a powerful editor. Um, so when I'm doing hardcore programming, I tend to use Komodo Edit. When I want to see what I'm doing because I'm working on the web, I use Code Runner because of that live HTML view. Okay. So right tool for the right job. I, mean, I don't believe in using one tool. I, I will use whatever tool fits best. Sometimes it's a hammer, sometimes it's a screwdriver, whatever. So this is my main code editor, Komodo Editor, big fan. Link will be in the show notes. Now, the next thing I want to tell you about is not free. And I think you might buy it. And I think of our listeners, I'd say it's 50-50 at best. However, one of the things you, you're going to do more and more as you're, as you're programming prowess grows as you gain more confidence you're going to start using more and more you're going to start referring to documentation more and more you're going to start using more and more third-party apis and every api means reading documentation because you didn't write the code like i we've used jquery but we didn't write it so that means we can't possibly instinctively know you're always looking at the docs going what was it again oh yeah okay that's how it works what was that third argument oh okay that's what it was so you always need to be looking up documentation. And initially, you'll do that in your web browser like everyone else. But I don't know about you. My web browser is a crowded place. <laughs> it has many tabs. <laughs> and the programming stuff gets lost. And I actually want to be able to command tab to my documentation and find only my documentation and nothing else on the other end of that command tab. And you I'm can actually thinking that. of using a third monitor because of programming by stealth. <laughs> hmm. Oh, yeah, that's what's second monitors and or really big monitors. So you can see your code and your docs at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, there is an app whose only function in life is to show documentation. And that mm. app is called Dash. And 
you can download it. It has been booted off the Mac App Store because of, oh, that was so much of a story about that, but let's not go there. So if you search for Dash OS X or Dash Mac OS, I found it with Mac OS yesterday. The show will be in the show notes. The link will be in the um, show notes? <laughs> Capelli.com. Sorry, the, the show will be, yeah, the link will be in the show notes. <laughs> so you will see that it is $24.99. Ooh. Must be good yeah, for because so, Bart doesn't spend money frivolously. I, I I resisted buying this app for about three years. Eventually, <laughs> I gave in. So you're right, I don't. But I quite like it now that I own it. Uh, I obviously don't need to install it because this is my Mac. So Wait, Dash for iOS? That's yes, another idea an... because then you could have documentation up on an iPad in front of you and you got another screen. Right. Yes, that is, that is indeed a good idea. And it... it keep stuff in sync so the idea with dash is that you download documentation sets so i currently have js doc installed jquery moment.js which we used for our clocks way back bootstrap which we will be using in the future and the core javascript documentation but Mm -hmm. let's say something comes up and i need to start becoming a php programmer search for php so there's the core php PHP unit. Ah, great. Unit tester for PHP. It's actually yeah. very similar to Unit. Um, I also have, oh, look, there's Drupal. Um, there's, I think there's also the WordPress docs are in here because I got them from here. Yeah, there's the docs for when you're writing WordPress plugins and themes and things. Um, there's something called WordPress or PHP doc, which is just like JS doc. Oh, that one isn't in here. That's a pity. What about your docs, like for uh, Bartificer.ca? I can get them in here. I just haven't had the time to do it yet. So there that isn't something we could do. We probably could. I just haven't read the instructions. Therefore, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> okay. It's not just open in. Uh, I, there was a section on the web page. I think it's a case of just because we're using JS doc, it's probably very straightforward. I just don't know what sequence of buttons to push. Okay. Um, so I, I can't comment on how easy or difficult it is. Right. Okay. But anyway, I have a bunch of them installed, which is great. And you can have as many tabs in here as you like. You can bookmark things, and you can also keep a library of code snippets. And you can tag things. And you can annotate these documentation, and the annotations will stay there. So if something continuously confuses you, you can stick in your own annotations. (laughs) And you can sync everything through Dropbox between your multiple computers. Oh, nice. So it's like having an old textbook with post-it notes sticking out of it and the ability to (laughs) scribble on the pages. But that's no bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So can yeah, I so stuff can Jill's doc, Jill's notes into it for me? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure. You'd have that had to be formatted in such a way that it would understand. Uh, okay. Okay. Um. So anyway, that's Dash, and I'm a huge fan of Dash. So we'll keep Dash open because we're going to refer back to Dash. So that's my. That's actually my current toolkit for when I'm working on this kind of stuff. So I thought that might be interesting for people. So what we really want to talk about today is documentation. So I have taken, there is a function, I've just picked one. The one I picked, I picked very scientifically. I scrolled to the very bottom of the code and I picked that one. So we are going to document together the function cell state, which belongs to the prototype bartificer.ca.automaton. And to avoid, to build it up together, I'm using Smalltron 9 here, just on a separate screen, which I have minimized, so I should maximize it. So what are you using Smalltron for? Uh, just, I just basically copied the code out, so it's only the code, so we can mess around with it. 
You know, that's something I was going to ask you about. I found myself doing that, opening a different editor just so that mentally I could tell that was something else and splatting pieces of code in so that when I scrolled, I could see things back and forth. I could I could easily look at something you'd written and then see what I was writing. Yeah, I will very often. And I like to have them look really different to each other. So I like the fact that Smoltron is white on is black on white and Komodo Edit is white on black. Yeah. So yeah, I use um, no the Witch app. What was the one we found? Uh, Cod Editor. See which is t- white. Which is yeah, it's white. white. Yeah, and it's great big font and it looks completely different. So I, I don't ever think that's the real thing. That's obviously someplace I'm just fooling around. Yeah, which is good to have a scratch pad, right? And the nice thing yeah, with Smoltron is Smoltron, like Cot, is small in terms of its RAM and CPU usage. It opens quickly. It's not like a full blown IDE. So it's nice yeah. for your scratch pad. So this is just the code on its own, right? No comments yet. So if we have a quick scan of the code, it seems to do a bunch of validation. If a bunch of things aren't through, throw a type error. If a bunch of other things aren't through, true, throw a range error. Otherwise, return the current state of a coordinate in the grid. So it's not a very complicated function, but there it is. So when you're writing documentation, you're writing for explicitly for one audience and implicitly for a second audience. The audience you're writing for is the programmer who is using your API. So this is a person who writes code but hasn't written this code. All they want is to build an automaton. They are a computer science professor. They're teaching their students about cellular automata and they want to do a demo and they want to embed it onto the course webpage. So they've said, I could write my own or I could do a quick Google. Oh, look, someone's written an automaton generator in JavaScript. Let's use it. And they then want to know how. Okay, so there is all of this code here. How do I make it go? Okay. And so that, that is the point of this documentation. And I, and now, I think that that's a, a statement that can't be said enough because I know a lot of times in the past I've gotten confused where you say the user and I'm picturing it as Allison who has surfed to a web page to look at this game of life. And that's not who the user is. Correct. Okay. Correct. Exactly. So the user is a person who, who is only interested in making an automaton for their web page. They don't want to know how. The reason they've come to get our code is because they don't want to write their own. So they're not Jill. Right. <laughs> um, sorry, that's an in-joke. We should do in-jokes on the air. Um, well, if it makes Jill smile. A, it's not a mean in-joke. Jill, in her own words, says she'd like to, she reinvents every wheel. Yeah, this is a person who wrote a color picker in JavaScript by hand. So is, Hers is better than any ones I've seen anywhere else. <laughs> So maybe if you're really good, it makes sense to reinvent every wheel. But anyway, that's where we, we digress. So put, now the other person it's, in, it's also for is you. Because you're very <laughs> likely to use your own API. Why would you have bothered writing an API if you don't plan on using it? Now, in this case, it's because it was your homework. Because <laughs> Bart made me. Because Bart made me. But in, you know, when you move on to write stuff to scratch your own itch, you're going to be one of your own users. Right. If you are motivated enough to write an API, you're going to be a user of that API. So it's also for yourself. So it is to some extent also helping out future Allison or future Bart or future whoever. And I do an awful lot of stuff to make future Bart not be cranky because <laughs> future Bart is an idiot a lot of the time. He forgets an awful lot of stuff that was really obvious to present Bart, but is completely opaque to future Bart. He's an idiot. Anyway, so. When you look at it from that point of view, what are you trying to capture? 
the last thing future you or a user of your API wants to have to do is to read the code to see what it does. They want to find out what's important about the code from the documentation. So functions are supposed to be black boxes. Something goes in, they promise they'll do something, and then something comes out. How should be irrelevant. Oh, interesting. In, in our case, it's not irrelevant because we're trying to learn how to write what's in the box. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the documentation is supposed to do that. Okay, that's, that's really interesting. Okay. I so buy it. In terms of a function then, what, it, what is it that matters if you, if you take the black box view? Well, you have the really obvious stuff, like what's it called? We'll take that for granted. Of course, I need to know its name. How else can I call it? So we'll, we'll take that as, as a given. The, the first really important thing you need is, I sort of break it down into a wishy-washy thing and then three very factual things. <laughs> the wishy-washy thing is an English description or a French description or a German description. The wishy-washy thing is a sentence or two. And ideally speaking, it should be short. If it needs to be long, maybe you haven't written your code very well. A sentence or two that says, what does it do? So that's the easy, you know, so that's just the wishy-washy, here's what it does. Let let me stop you there for a second. Why would the human wishy-washy stuff be advantageous, advantageous to be short? Why are you saying that your code is poorly written if you have to explain it? Well, because between the name, generally speaking, if you name things well, there should be very little that left to the imagination if if your code is full of all of these caveats like you know well this function does this on a tuesday but there's that on a wednesday and there's this caveat and that caveat oh yeah watch out for this minefield over here i'm not saying it's always true but if you find that all of your functions have really long descriptions and not just like you know like the the main constructor that serves as the entry point to the entire api will probably have a multi-paragraph description but if everything starts to need multiple paragraphs, you kind of have to ask yourself, am I naming things really badly? Have I designed this API so it's really confusing? Why am I writing so much? So I, I guess I'm picking at this spot because I think some of your documentation, the explanation has been way too short for me. I'll read it and go, what? I don't even close to follow you. Not that you had to give me caveats that I don't understand the words that you've given have not given me enough to grasp what the purpose of this thing is. Maybe we'll yeah. get past that because this this explanation. But if I were to choose, I would choose Bart to be just a little less on the brevity side. On the thing that. is, right? If you're when you become conversant in documentation, it's actually the words do not support the rest. The rest supports the words. The words are like a little asterisk. Okay, All so, the rest is actually what's important. So you start by saying the first was the wishy-washy couple of sentences for the human. Yeah. What, so what is the more specific stuff? So right. So the specific stuff is, is, is basically, so we're, we're talking in terms of a black box. So the very first specific is what goes into the box. You need a clear, accurate, and there's official formatting for how to make it those things, description of what arguments the function expects. Which of them are optional? which of them are required, what type they should be, and what, you know, they should have a name so it's obvious what they mean. Like X and Y are really good names because it's pretty obvious you're talking about an X coordinate and a Y coordinate. Calling them thing one and thing two would be very bad. Unless you're Dr. Seuss. <laughs> well, if you're writing some sort of code poetry, which I'm 
I guess you could. It could be interesting. <laughs> anyway, so thing one is what goes in. Thing two is what comes out. So this function, it, so not all functions return. So one of the things that may come out is nothing. But that is a piece of factual information. This function does not return anything. Okay, good to know. Examples would be console.log. It doesn't return anything. It just prints something to the screen. If we might have a function called start automaton, it won't return something. It will start the automaton. Okay. So not all functions return, but the fact that they don't is a fact. Okay. Now, if you have a function called add numbers, you would expect it to return to you the result of adding the numbers, right? So some functions do return something. And if they do return something, then the question is, well, are you going to give me a number? Are you going to give me a string? Are you going to give me a Boolean? Are you going to give me an array of things? Are you going to give me an object indexed by these four values or these four names? What are you going to give me back? So it's a black box. You've told me what you want me to give you. What are you going to give me in return? So they're <laughs> two obvious pieces. And the third piece is how will the function react if you make it cranky? In other words, what errors can I throw and in what circumstances will I throw them? Okay. So in this case, we have type errors and we have range errors. So why would it, you know, so I need to say and in the documentation. The example, this is where you're talking about your cell state prototype. Yes. Yeah. So you can see there we have three throw statements. Throw new type error, throw new range error, throw new range error. So the documentation should explain to the user in what circumstances those three lines of code would fire. Because uh -huh. they're like little landlines, right? And so instead of having someone have to read if X is greater than or equal to this dot underscore calls, it would it, that's when it would get this range error. You would say a range error is thrown if the input X value is greater than the number of columns. Yeah. So basically, you, you might you might make it a bit more colloquial and say, you know, if if the coordinates are off the edge of the automaton. See, that's what that wouldn't make any sense to me. That wouldn't help well, you me what you it. said. What I said would help me. Okay, well then, oh sure, okay, we're into a stylistic thing there. But yeah, the point is you would, you would say what the error is, range error, and what makes it happen. You gave me an X that's impossible. Because right, but those words you said don't tell me that. They don't tell Allison that. Maybe everybody else in class hears that and goes, well, I know exactly what he meant. But it did not sound synonymous with what I said. Okay. Falls off the... Anyway... Okay, you have a 10 by 10 grid and you've asked me for coordinate number 11. Right, but that's not what you said. You said a bunch of gobbledygook words. <laughs> I went off the edge. If you have a 10 by 10 and you go to 11, you've gone off the edge. You've fallen off the edge of the world. Okay, I, to be honest, I probably would write it in terms of rows because that's actually more factually correct, but I was trying to be colloquial. <laughs> anyway, so there's our four pieces. English, what goes in, what comes out, and what errors I will throw. And okay. that then gives you what you need about a function. That, 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 that allows someone to use your function. So let's have a go. So a doc comment starts with slash star star. So Isn't that any old kind of comment starts with that? No, slash star is any uh -huh. old comment. Star star. Uh -huh. The extra star makes all the difference. That triggers. So basically these comments, as far as JavaScript is concerned, anything starting with slash star is a comment. So slash star is a comment, and slash star star is a comment containing a star. So JavaScript just ignores it. But the JS doc ah. app reads the text file, and it looks for slash star star. Hmm. So JS doc will ignore anything that doesn't start with slash star star. It's just like, oh, that's a normal comment. 
But if you give that second star, JS Doc's ears perk up and go, ah, this is one for me. Okay, I will try understand this. Right, so your JS Doc is effectively a programming language within a programming language. Yeah, that's interesting. It It is as formally structured as HTML. It actually has tags. It just does them slightly differently. So... The easiest thing to do in JS doc is to give the fluffy English bit because there is no syntax. You just type the fluffy English bit. You go slash star star and then you start typing. And JS doc ignores leading stars. So to make your comments easier to read, people as a habit put stars all down the side. And if you have a like if I got to if I got to use my code editor here and I hit enter, it will automatically keep putting those stars in because most editors are aware of this. Oh, that's nice. So you just put in 26 stars. Just put in way too many stars. So most, most editors worth their salt will automatically do that. So that will give you that nice sort of tabbed in look. Again, it's purely, it's, it's not required. The it JavaScript sure makes it will easier to everything. read. Yeah, it makes it easier to read. And JavaScript will ignore everything until the star slash, whether there's stars in front or not. But JS doc ignores the stars. So it leaves you free to, to make it this easy to read. And you just type the English, and uh, JS Doc will be happy. If you want to make a new paragraph, you just leave a blank line. Oh, this oh, Smultron is not smart enough to put the stars in. Tut, tut. Uh, you may not have told it you're in JavaScript right now, because it seems to be not interpreting things. Oh, no, it also, yeah, there's a bug in this version. It will interpret it as soon as I change away from the tab and come back. Oh, okay, it's been even more buggy today. Because it has interpreted the, the red stuff. It is. Yeah, only when you pasted it in. So when you added the second star, it ah. got confused. Oh, no, there it is. It's on JavaScript. Is it? Mm. There it is. You know, it's just being buggy. So okay. I, I've had cranky words with the editor of Smultron. It's still the quickest editor to launch. But the I don't know. COD editor is pretty fast. Yeah, I might switch to COD. Because version, like, version 8 of Smultron, I was happy with. Version 9, I have, I'm very cranky with. It's, it's, it's a buggy. It, it, it's not good. Anyway. Um, so if you want to make a paragraph, you just leave a blank line. Then we'd have two paragraphs. Like you just type mm-hmm. and you're not going to like this, but should you wish to include some sort of formatting, say you want to mark something as being fixed with font, you might use two back ticks, and then type. And should you want to make something italic, you'd put star, the thing, star. Let me so guess, that's markdown, oh, isn't it? Yes, it is markdown. Yes, it is. I was wondering how long it'd take you to notice. So if you as soon as you said you'll list, be cranky, that's when I knew you were going to type in markdown. Now, the markdown is not compulsory, but it's either markdown or no markup. Okay. I do use markdown. I just have to look it up every single time. I never can remember what something means. Realistically, realistically, all you need when you're using JS doc, because JS doc tags do a lot of stuff. All you need with JS doc for markdown is backticks to make something be fixed with font so that it's easy to read in your documentation. As code. As code uh-huh. and the stars to make a bulleted list. That's all I ever use. Okay. I think even though you've I'm got stars it. here and it's not making bulleted lists there. <laughs> no, it would be fine because those stars are being ignored by JS Doc. So if I wanted to make a bulleted list here, I would just simply use star space star item <laughs> one star space star. Okay, that looks perfectly natural to you, but we've just started with slash star to tell it it's a comment, then another star to tell it that we're talking to JS Doc, and now we've added another star, and that third star means it's a bullet. Yeah, but remember, this first row of stars is just like a like a gutter, right? Yeah. You can nest them okay. as well. I mean, this item 2.1, it will work perfectly. Like, so okay. if you, it works. 
and you don't even need bulleted lists very often, right? right 99% of what you will do in code is just you, you, you want to use a fixed width font for when you use a variable name or something so sure. that when someone's reading your docs, it's obvious what it is and you can't confuse O's and zeros and that kind of thing. So to be honest, the back ticks are probably enough. Okay. I think you can remember those. Yeah. If you can find them on your keyboard. That's how you tell a programmer from a non-programmer. Type me a back tick and if they go, ooh, then they're not programmers. <laughs> Okay, so that's the easy fluffy English bit. So the next thing we want to do is we want to specify what goes in. Right? right. So to do that, we're going to meet our first tag. And in JSDoc, a tag starts with the at symbol, followed by the name of the tag. And there are quite a few of them. So if I flick over to dash and I go to the JSDoc section and I expand the tag reference, it will tell you that these are all the tags JSDoc supports. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, you don't need them all. Um, and they're generally well named. So we want to describe a parameter. We so do? Here is the doc- we do, because What's as you'll a see, synonyms. Yeah, I see. It's even a section here just for you, Alison. Synonyms, at arg, at argument. So you can use at param, at arg, or at argument, and JSDoc says, oh, you're describing an argument. Okay. Okay. So an argument, so there's two arguments to our little sample function, X and Y, so we want to document both of them. Now, I tend not to bother my backside reading the English. When it comes to JS Doc, there's always a section called examples, and I just scroll to the example that looks like what I want. <laughs> and in this case, it's name, type, and description with a hyphen before the description. So that's what I want. So it's at param, space, squiggly brackets, the type of the thing, space, the name, minus sign, followed by the fluffy English. So let's try to do How, that. Okay. I have no idea well, how you knew that's what you wanted. Well, they're um, the things I want to describe, isn't it? I don't know. What, what's squiggly what bracket string X? mean? What's it's the type? So what's okay, the dash so, mean? You you called out okay. the dash like that was something. Man, I got to have the one with the dash or a hyphen. Okay, so here's what it looks like without the dash. So this is the type. This is the name of the variable. Wait, what is the type? The thing in the squiggly brackets? The thing in the squiggly brackets is the type. How do you know that? Because that is, if I'd read the English, okay, if you read the English, it'll tell you that. Um, but, okay, so maybe I only go to the examples because I have a bit of practice. So there is, actually, the other thing, right, this also contains, as well as a tag reference, guides, which tells you, one here called getting started. So that would actually be where I would suggest if you if you really want to play with if, if the examples are not sufficient, then getting started is great because it walks you through from soup to nuts. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's just like it is. It's just a matter of knowing what to type. Okay, so I have to I have to know that params means the arguments, or you can use that arguments if you prefer. That's that augments. Argument. That's something Oops, else. So it is. <laughs> I'd um, like to, but. Apparently not. No, no. If you look, if you search for argu, you hmm. good. Looks like it was there for a second. It did anyway. It, okay, so it is param. Okay. So you get to know these very. I can quickly, get to learn there's it. Only, there's only three of them, right? We had three thing. We had three facts we wanted to give. So there's three of them. Okay. At param. So in the version without the minus sign, you see the way it says somebody somebody's. Somebody is the name of the argument, and then somebody's is the first bit of English. So that's why I love the dash, because that's easier to read. Okay. Right, it says function say hello somebody, 
So somebody is there. I am documenting the variable, uh, the, the argument named somebody, minus sign, and then the fluffy English. Without the minus sign, it looks like this. Which is okay. Horrible. Okay, wait, what? So <laughs> this looks like it means something to you, but at param says yep. I'm going to define an argument. Then there's some squiggly, and inside that it happens to say string. So that means we're going to put in this parameter we're going to define is going to be a string. And then right. the thing after that that says somebody, I'm supposed to know that's the name of the argument? Yes. So this How do I know that here, somebody means the name of an argument? Well, because that's what it says in the English up here that I told you to skip. But I'm telling you now, which is why I didn't bother drawing an English. So I'm telling you that the structure is at param, squiggly brackets type, followed by name, minus sign, followed by English. That is just the rule, right? Type name. So type name description. So the fact that they use somebody twice, that isn't the same somebody. That's English words. But the first somebody is the name no. they've chosen to give this fictional variable that will be a string. Yes. So okay. functions say, hello, somebody. Okay, what is somebody? Somebody is a string. And then there's some English, which is somebody's name. So let's do it in our function and see if okay. it makes a little bit more sense. Our example is less contrived because this is a real function. Okay. So we need to describe a parameter. So at param. We know we need to give it a type, but we'll come back to that. So we'll leave our squigglies. So we want to describe x. So x is the name. So some English might be the x co coordinate of the cell whose state we wish to access. And you might want to change that C to an X and then I'll be happy. <laughs> okay. There we go. All right. So Well, that makes type, more sense than that somebody yeah. nonsense. <laughs> yeah, it's the problem with a contrived example, right? Yeah. And we're going to obviously have something excruciatingly similar for Y, right? So we may as well just copy that for now. And then we say, I know I have left the type blank, so we'll come back to the type the y-coordinate of the cell we want to. Okay. So what goes in here? So in here, you have the choice of three things always. Thing one is very straightforward. It is a JavaScript native type. So there are, starting at the simplest, Boolean. I remember those. Then we have number. Then we have string. Then we have option, sorry, object. And then we have function. That's it. They are all of the JavaScript native types. So that's option one, one of those. I'm going to guess number. Well, but that would be a very good first, right? That would be actually a useful first approximation of this documentation, right? If we'd put number there, we wouldn't be wrong. And that would already be of use to a user of our API. But it's not as accurate as we can be. But it is a really good starting point. However, if I put 42.5, that is a number. It's not valid as a coordinate, though. So we do right. actually need but to... But you said I had to more. pick from one of those no, no, options. I said there's three, no, no, I said there's three options. Right? Option one is pick from one of the basic types. Oh, option I thought you two. said I had to pick from one of the basic types. No, no, okay. No. So, so there are three approaches. Approach one, a basic type. And that will get you... A lot of the time, that's all you need. String. Very common. Boolean, very common. So the, you'll often use option one, but you don't only have option one. You also have option two, the name of any prototype that exists, whether it's in your code or whether it's native JavaScript. So if the argument we wanted was a Bartificer dot date time from way back, we could put that in there, right? So it can just be the name of a, of, of a prototype. 
any prototype, be it a standard Java one like error or be it one you've just written. So basic type name of prototype. The last option is where what you actually want is I want to refer to a specific piece of information. So I want to give you some English and I'm going to give that English a short name that is going to become a clickable link. And every time I want to say the same thing, I use the same token, the same name for it. And that's called a type definition or a type def. And what we actually want is a bit of English that says, what is a coordinate? So I'm going to say it's grid coordinate. And then all I have to do in my documentation is describe grid coordinate somewhere. So grid coordinate is something you made up. Something I have made up and given a name. Okay. And here is where I've done that. So I have just basically, this is a JS doc comment that isn't attached to any code. It's just a doc comment. It says type def. I'm defining my own made up type. It is a number and I'm going to call it a grid coordinate. And then I just give it some English. A number representing an X or Y coordinate within a cellular automaton. Specifically, an integer number greater than or equal to zero. I, okay. I would like to think that is short and to the point and yes. clear. Yes. Yes. Yay. So, so that means that you're, you're basically, you, you've really only given it a type def of number by doing this. But you're saying, I'm going to tell you about it by giving it a name and referencing it in the documentation. Yes. Okay. And so when we turn this into a web page, every time I use the type def grid coordinate that I have just invented here with this piece of code, it will be a clickable link that takes the person to that piece of English. So then I don't have to retype that every time I use a coordinate, which in the documentation is going to be hundreds and hundreds of times. I just say it's one of those, which is a clickable, okay, tell me about it. And you get to recognize them, right? Because you can give them sensible names like grid coordinate. Mm-hmm. So if we jump back to our code, here is my actual attempt at it. So at param, grid coordinate x, the x coordinate of the requested cell. At param, grid coordinate y, the y coordinate of the requested cell. So when you showed us the JS doc documentation of how to write at param, it had a bunch mm-hmm. of other programming glop below that. It has it lots says, of it has examples here. No, no, no. Go to the one we were on. Scroll down. On param. With a dash. Oh, there it is. Functions Functions say hello, somebody. Squiggly bracket alert. Hello, somebody. Don't we have to put that glop in there, too? Put that glop in there, too. From function to the squiggly bracket. Those last three lines. Okay, no, no. Okay, so this is, okay, so this is the code. This is the documentation. So, okay, why did they put that this glop there? Huh. Well, they're showing you how, right? They're documenting this function. So uh, a document, a, a comment describing code is no use if they're not showing you both, right? So this comment describes this silly little function. Function, say hello, somebody, alert, hello, plus somebody. It's a really dumb function. It just pops up a pop-up that says hello and then whatever argument you passed it. And this is how you document the parameter, at param, string, somebody, and it should be somebody's name. Okay. So do you see... I guess I don't so see this, what value it adds. It just seems like some silliness well, after that. I, how else could I possibly know what somebody was? Somebody is... I don't know. Term. I didn't know what somebody was from reading that. 
<laughs> okay, well, remember we are jumping you out of right. We we haven't we are jumping around a little, but yeah. So this is what the comment describes, which is a dumb made up function, and this is the comment. And yet we're going to use that same thing to describe something completely different that doesn't have any of that in there, so we don't really need any of that information. But okay, but we're doing exactly the same thing, right? They're saying at param type variable name English at param type variable name English. Sure. Those first three, those first parts, those make sense. I just didn't understand why there was some function glop after it. Well, that's because I, okay, I personally couldn't interpret this one without the other. I need to see how do I document this piece of code? Okay. It doesn't help me at all. So I clearly don't understand okay, what they have to do with each other. Having, that's why I'm showing you with a practical example. right? Well, yeah, the practical expect- example makes sense. What they've got in there doesn't seem to add value but okay if it helped you learn it it helped me it helped me a lot yeah Mm -hmm. okay so we now have our fuzzy english and we have our what goes in so the next question is what comes out well the tag for what comes out is wonderfully straightforward at returns ah okay followed by and every time you see curly brackets your brain should go type so you got to give it a type and then you give it some english now a return has no name so the english just goes straight off to the squiggly brackets so it returns the state of the cell at coordinates. Don't think that's spelled right, but don't care. Yeah, it is. X. Oh, it is. <laughs> and Y. So you never now return a value? No, no. We do return a value. I, I have left this blank because now we've got to talk about it again. No, no, so no, 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 no. That's the grid. That's the, uh, the type you've left blank. Why isn't there a space variable name as an option? Well, because a function does... All right, arguments have names, but a return type is just, this is what this function spits back. Arguably, the name of the function is the name of what's returned, if, you, if you're going to be picky about it. Well, wait a minute. Can't you return X? Right, but the user of your API has no... Right, X exists within your function and only within your function. So what the user of your API cares about is what you handed me back. So they're going to have a line of code somewhere that says var my name of my choice equals uh, automaton dot get dot state no cell state okay, hang on no you're, you're three comma four okay you're misunderstanding right? me what if inside my black box it took mm-hmm. x plus y and it added them together to get z a variable okay. z so couldn't right. it be returns type number dash or space z dash and then the description of what z is from a person outside the black box what is z i'm going to tell them what x what z is that's why i'm writing documentation okay but a function returns exactly one thing i want it it can't return z no, it returns a value. The only thing that ever comes out of a function is a value, the value undefined or some other value. A function that is a, okay, seven. a function that returns nothing returns undefined. So what's a value? Fun- if you say return four, the value is four or a number. If you say... Okay, so four. Mine's going to return four. Don't, it seems to me that you're, you're acting like this would never have that same format as the parameter comment. That's what's confusing me. Right. How do I know in returns, I'm not going to have that variable like you did on the parameters? Okay, so there is one return value. That's it. It is a unary thing. It is, there is one of them. Can't return Parameters. an array? 
that's one value, an array. Yes. Parameters have names because there is up to infinity of them. Return types do not have names because there is exactly one of them, either <laughs> undefined or something real. Why don't we have to tell them what the name of it is? You're saying the array has it no makes name? It no sense. It has no name. It has a return type. It is the return value of the function. It has no name. It is what the function returns. It has no name. It only has a type. Like, what is the name of the return value of math.squirt? It doesn't have a name. It just gives back a number. The name, effectively, is the name of the function. Math.squirt, square is a number, so the name is actually math.squirt. Right, so why doesn't it say return, squiggly bracket, something, space, math.squirt? Well, because the name of the function is going to be picked up automatically by JSDoc, because the comment is associated with, so it's going to know it's commenting cell state. You're trying to tell the user of this documentation what is going to be returned, and it seems like you're not answering that question if you're not saying it in the documentation. Okay, but I'm saying the type and the English description. There is no other information. A return value has no name. Okay. I I don't know how that's true, but you've said it eight times, so I believe you. Okay. Okay. But have you ever written a fun- uh, have you ever you called a function where it gives you back in something that has a name? It uh, it just gives you back a value. The function evaluates to a value. Okay. It evaluate to a name. <laughs> it's yes. A black box. Sure. I put something in and one thing comes out. All I have to do is tell you what the thing is. Right? It's many things go in, so I have to give them names so I can talk about them. One thing comes out, so it doesn't have a name. Right? There are two arguments. If I didn't give them names, I would have to always say the first argument and the second argument. And if I had five arguments, I think you'd hate me. So the only reason they have names is because there's more than one of them. But there's only ever one return value, so it doesn't. there's, there's no need to say... Okay, so to, when we use at returns, we never, we, there's never anything other than the type and the description. Correct. Okay. So functions return some a single thing Got which will have a type and some English to go with it. Okay. So in this case, we again are going to use one of our type defs, and I'm going to use cell state, which is again just a piece of English that I have named. Right. So it's going to be here somewhere. Cell state, a valid cell state, a boolean, a number, or a string. Okay. Now, this is the reason I'm showing you this is because it allows me to show you that JSDoc really is a full programming language. You, well, okay, not a programming language, a markup language. You can say the vertical pipe means or. So the squealy boolean or number or string means boolean or number or string. Yeah, I saw you do that in some documentation, and I wondered why you did that. Could you have said the word or? Uh, then JSDoc would not have understood and it would have tried to find something called boolean or number or string, which it wouldn't have found and it wouldn't have turned it into, into appropriate links and things. Hmm. Okay. And also it means that if I was using an, an IDE that understands JSDoc comments, it wouldn't be able to give me useful feedback because it wouldn't know what I meant. Okay. And so you've got squiggly brackets and now you've got parentheses and pipes all piled together yes. there. Okay. Yes, you have to, if you're going to have something piped, you have to wrap it. That makes sense. Okay. I'm not sure it does make sense, but it's the rules, and so we'll follow them. So, again, if I flip over the next tab, so there we go. 
at returns cell state the current state of the cell at the given coordinates. So we have now documented what goes in, what comes out, and our fluffy English. So the last thing is, well, what? how are you going to be cranky at me, Mr. Function? What are you going to throw at me? And so the tag for that is, oops, at throws. Squiggly brackets for the type, which is going to be the prototype of the error. So let's document, and then some English. Now, you have to have an at throw statement for every type of error. So we need two of them. So we sometimes throw... A type Even though you error. have three errors, two of them are range errors, and one of them is a type error, so you have to do them separate, just two. Yes, just two. Okay. So basically, when so from the point of view of someone reading your documentation, they, they want you to describe all occasions when you throw a range error in one comment. So a range error could fall out. Why? It's going to be one description of potentially multiple lines of code, if you get what I mean. So mm-hmm. am I, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So type error. A type error is thrown when invalid arguments are supplied. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you would have one for range error. I pretend I copied and pasted it in. And you might say like a range error is thrown when a valid argument is provided but, but it's outside is, the range. <laughs> but it's outside the acceptable range. And then you could go on to say, i.e., an x-coordinate greater than the number of columns. Or right. a y-coordinate greater than the number of rows. Okay. And so I've ended up with something like that in my final product. So a range error is thrown if either of the coordinates specify a cell whose coordinates are beyond the edges of the automaton. You don't like that English. <laughs> That's okay. Writing, don't mm-hmm. A type error is thrown if invalid arguments are passed. And there we go. That is our actual, that is the actual comment out of my, out of the assignment. So that is exactly as it appears in the real file. Okay. So fluffy English, what goes in, what comes out, what gets thrown. Just those three things. That's all we ever have to do. For a function, they're the three things. And if you're describing a variable, then there's no what comes out. There's only what type is it and some fluffy English. And what the, what the parameter, or that, say x has to be a positive number or positive is greater than or equal to zero or something like that? Yes, that would be a type. That's your type definition. Uh, so a variable. Okay, I'll find one if you like. Um, and, and, and this, I'm not sure there actually are any variables. In, uh, actually, there are. But I'm not going to show Okay. Park that thought. Okay. I, I will show you one. Just I don't want to do it right now. Okay. But I will. I promise. So we've now written our documentation. And imagine we've done the same process over and over again, right? Every function. And in fact, in the real world, that's not what you do. You don't write all of your code and then comment it. That's just like you don't write all of your code and then write your tests. The way I actually code in the real world is I do all three of those things for a small piece of code. And then I do all three of those things for the next small piece of code. So I will actually start with a comment. I will write the comment for what this function is going to do. And just the act of writing the comment forces you to think it through. So what inputs do I need? I need this. I need this. I need this. It should be this. It should be this. It should be this. I should return this. So you write the comment, and there isn't a single line of code yet, but you describe everything the function will do. Then you write the tests, and the comment and the test will, will, will exactly match each other because the comment says what it should do, and the test needs to test that that's true. And then you write the code. So last time you made fun of me for, uh, well, not made fun, mocked me a little bit for 
writing my code to pass the tests. But it sounds like that's a valid way to do it because you write your, well, maybe you want to write your code to pass the comments. You want to write your primary, you want to write the code to pass the comments and you prove it, you prove it to yourself by passing your tests. Okay. Okay. And the nice thing with JSDoc is that the comments are in line, which means that at every point, assuming your functions aren't stupidly long, at every point while you're coding, you can see what you've said the function should do. Hmm. And it's extremely useful to have the code and what it should do forced to be touching each other by the rules of JS doc. I mean, it is amazingly useful to have them right next to each other. And it means that your documentation isn't something that you have to update at the end of a project because the two are on screen together. So you edit them together. If I change what this function does, I would change both. And then I would change my test. And then I would hopefully get them to pass again. Because if I change my code and my comment and I don't change my test, well, then my test will fail. And go, okay, need to fix the test. And then we get all three to pass. And so you break the job into little pieces, little bite-sized chunks, and those chunks tend to be functions. So document the function, write the test, write the function, move on. Next function, document it, test, write, document, test, write. And that's how you, like Lego bricks, you build up your APIs. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So we now have this, it is somewhat human readable, right? It's not gibberish, but it's not hypertext. It's not friendly. So at param grid coordinate, somewhere in this thousand line long file is the English that matches grid coordinate. I don't want to have to scroll up and down, right? The joy of hypertext is clicking things. Mm-hmm. That's what it's. So we need to turn this into something clickable entirely automatically. And that's what the JSDoc terminal command does. So the JSDoc terminal command, the easiest way to get it is to install on your computer another free tool we have mentioned before called Node.js, which is at nodejs.org. And so you can download it and install it, and it will give you a command line JavaScript interpreter. Uh, there are two versions, LTS, long-term support, and current. For everything we do in programming by stealth, either will work. The current one gets updates all the time, so you're always having to update it to keep up to date, and there can be bugs in it because you're on the bleeding edge. Avant-garde, as they say. The avant-garde, exactly. (laughs) Whereas the long-term support gets much less updates, much less frequency, much less bugs. They've all been shaken out. But you don't have all of the coolest features. But in terms of programming by stealth, I'm intentionally not using all of the coolest features because most browsers haven't caught up to all of the newest features. So that's why either will work fine for whatever we're doing here. And, and I know you taught this to us before, but now that uh, CodeRunner has Node.js built in, uh, what does this do? This is a JavaScript interpreter. So this is like having the developer pop-up window in your browser available to you as a terminal command. So I could, if I wanted, type in the terminal node. I am now on a little command prompt where I can do things like var x equals two, three, semicolon. You aren't in on my screen, by the way. Not on your screen? Nope. I'm looking at no. Safari right now at the node uh, node.js.org. So this window I'm now wiggling is not showing up? No. Are you in terminal? Yeah. Look at your menu phone. bar. It says Safari at the top. Oh, wait a minute. You know what? There's an interesting bug going on with uh, Skype lately that if I don't wiggle my mouse on screen, the screen doesn't update. 
Oh, so, well, that's special. Because Yeah, I noticed it when I was talking to Kelly Gamont on last week's uh, Chit Chat, is I was like, she's frozen, and then I moved my mouse and she'd stop freezing. And I thought something was oh, wrong wow. with her, and no, it was... Uh, it's my my version of Skype. So this is neat. <laughs> okay, okay, right. So you're back okay. with me. I am. Wow. So like you even use the same characters in the browser so I can say far z equals x plus 5 console.log z. And and you've know. done this by you typed node node to start with. Okay. But I could also write a text file and say node space the text file and it will run the text file like a shell script. So I can do... I don't know JavaScript what problem we're solving, though. I'm well, the to... problem we're solving is that node... So node gives us gives our Mac the ability to run JavaScript from the command line. And it also gives us something called the node package manager or NPM. And the node package manager lets us... Fetch other people's code from a massive repository of code. And one of those other pieces of code is JS Doc. So it lets us install and run JS Doc is what it does for us here. Okay. You were you were over in Komodo Edit and you said, I really want this to be a link, and all of a sudden we're over in the terminal running node downloading JS Doc. I don't understand yes. what happened. What how are those two things have anything to do with each other? Okay. So these comments now exist as text in my file, bartificer.ca.js. I want to automatically transform those comments into a web page. So the tool that does that transforming, that reads those comments, interprets them, and uses that information to create a web page is JSDoc, the command line tool, JSDoc. So it reads in a .js file, and it spits out a bunch of HTML files. Okay, and the JS file it's going to pull in is this bartificer.ca.js? Correct, which contains our code and the specially formatted comments. Okay, so it's going to skip over the code, grab the comments, and interpret it and make it all neato. It actually doesn't skip the code. It uses the code. So you didn't, I didn't have to type the name of the function in my comment. So JSDoc will read the code, see what function the comment belongs to, pull all the information it can straight from the code and then you just give it the rest how does it know that this uh this documentation we just wrote is talking about the next function is it because it's the the next function yes okay because you never do tell it okay so you're forced to put the the documentation right where we need it Yes, you are absolutely forced to, because if you put it somewhere else, the JS doc will go, I have no idea what you're describing. It sounds like a beautiful function, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> so JS doc is going to pull in the .js file that has the comments that we just wrote with our little stars, and mm-hmm. it's going to create a web page? Yes, it is. It's going to okay. create a full website. So an index.html mm. with a whole bunch of clickable links that go to other pages. It's okay. going to get a whole folder of HTML for us. Yeah. And so it's a command line tool, and it doesn't come on the Mac by default. It comes to us through the Node package manager, hence we've installed Node. Now, you can manually install it, so you could say npm install jsdoc, and it'll just work. But what you'll notice is every time I do an open source anything, there's a file in there called package.json. And this allows me to specify stuff for NPM. 
And what matters here is this magical piece, dev dependencies. So in other words, the things needed as a developer working on bartificer.ca.js are JSDoc and something called Minami. So what on earth is Minami? There's a name I haven't mentioned before. Minami is a theme for JSDoc. It is the least crappy theme for JSDoc. So you say. <laughs> so it's, Okay, that I have found. Let me, let me prefix it with that I have found. And if someone can find me another one, I will happily accept. With less crap. Um, yeah, okay. I, I am not happy with any of them, but they do work. Who is this thing we're pointing... We're, right now we're pointing to a thing that says homepage, blah, 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 Bartificer, C-A-J-S, uh, hashtag readme. Then it says dev dependencies, JS doc, the version number, Minami, and a version number. Well, who is the user of that piece of information? The person who is creating the API. So you, so this is in this case. Me okay. and but me and mine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is... This file manages this project in terms of the node package manager. So for now, all I'm saying is we define the dependencies. And once we've defined the dependencies, it lets us do something really useful. We can just say npm install. And we don't have to say anything else because node will go, is there a file in the current folder named package.json? If there is, I will install everything it tells me to. So all I have to do is npm install. I'm a little fetch. confused because we did install Node and we did install NPM yes. back on episode 24. Yes, so Node, okay. so Node works on the idea that every project needs different things and you might need different versions of different things for different projects. So Node works on the idea that you will install your library, your, your APIs you use on a per folder basis. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. So then you could have one folder where you're running JS doc version two and another folder where you're running JS doc version three, which you can't do when you install stuff system wide. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So there is now a new folder that didn't exist until a few seconds ago called node underscore modules, hmm. which contains everything needed to make JS doc go. So JS doc itself on all of its dependencies and it figures out. So this out is not something you deliver to the customer it's not deliver correct okay. so it's not in github and it's I not just, what yeah i'm not seeing it in the downloaded folders that you gave us from not, before I, precisely because it's it's not a deliverable it's a tool used during the development process that creates <laughs> deliverables that i do okay. deliver to you so i just say npm install and it does everything automatically which i love very straightforward so we now have the ability to run that command but rather than typing it every time the other thing that you can do is you can make little shortcuts for yourself so scripts generate minus docs, and that's the actual terminal command to generate the documentation. So I don't actually have to remember the terminal command. They just say npm run generate minus docs. Boom. And it will run the appropriate command and create the documentation. Hmm. So now there is a folder called docs. Okay. I could open that up, but I'm a, right. Yeah. And now I'm seeing your second little scripty thing there is creates your, your dev docs that we've also seen a folder for. Yes, which we will talk about in a moment, very okay. shortly, actually. That is literally the last thing on the agenda for today is the dev docs. So I'm going to show you these docs by saying, right, I love the open command. So I'm just going to, this is an excuse to show you how great the open command is. So I want to open docs slash index.html minus a for app slash application slash Safari. And it will just open that file in Safari. Ooh. So here and that, is our, that literally just got created before our very eyes. 
Yeah, and in fact, it even has a timestamp, Friday, July 7th at 2327 GMT, <laughs> using the Minami theme, if you must know. <laughs> so there is our freshly minted documentation. The homepage is pretty much just boilerplate, right? It's a very short English description followed by author, license, and a link to the GitHub page. It's, it, that's boilerplate. The real power in this thing is that sidebar. That, that, is, that is the key to everything. So understanding the sidebar is important. So, so click the, on our cell state for me because cell that'll state, be what our, our actual function, which is cell state. That's the okay. one that we just wrote. So that's what we just wrote. Okay. So it goes from here to here. Yeah. And so Bart has highlighted a section right here, and this is part of the, my complaint with Minami is it's and, and very mine. hard. It's very hard to tell where each new section starts and like a new description starts and ends because the biggest, boldest thing is not the name of the thing that starts the section. It's like the third or fourth line. Yeah. So technically these little very, very subtle HRs are delimiting the sections, but, but really, they're not in the right place. And also parameters should be physically smaller than the name of the function. <laughs> Right. So what we should look for is that looks like a fix with, with fixed width font. That might be my hint. It, it is your hint. It will always be a fixed fixed width. Yeah, it's hard to it's say. really hard to say. Font. Try real real world fixed width font. <laughs> yeah. And for reasons I do not understand, it's a subtle, nice slate gray. And the actual <laughs> headers are this bold black black when everything yeah. else is actually a nice slate gray. Anyway, imperfect. <laughs> However... This here is the generated result. And if we flick back to our little bit of code, you will see that it, there is a one-to-one -one mapping, right? So fuzzy English, a function for accessing the current state. Fuzzy English, a function for accessing the current state. What goes in? Parameters. Two of them, X and Y. They each have a type and they each have a description. Ah, oh, well, would you look at that? X and Y, a type and a description. And grid coordinate is clickable. I click to it and it jumps to grid coordinate, a number representing an X or Y coordinate within a cellular automaton, specifically an integer number greater than or equal to zero. I saw that, number. yeah. Okay. So that's much more useful than having to go scrolling about looking for it. Yeah. Then it, then, so that's our English description, what goes in. The next thing it gives us is all the things that can go wrong. So it puts the throws section second. I personally would have put return second, but again, that's up to the theme to decide. So a type error is thrown if invalid arguments are passed. Type, type error. A range error is thrown if either of the coordinates specify a cell whose coordinates are beyond type range error. So again, that maps exactly to what we wrote in our at throws statements. Right. And then it says returns, type cell state. Well, that's returns, at returns, cell state. And then some English, the current state of the cell at the given coordinates. So I'm, I'm glad we're working on this specific example because this is the one that I got really my yes. panties in a bunch about. So at the very top, the very first thing it says is cell state, parentheses, X comma Y, a little arrow, then squiggly brackets, cell state with leading caps. The first cell state did not, mm -hmm. did not have leading caps. It was camel case. Now show me over in the documentation where we wrote that. Okay. This is, okay. So the theme is trying to summarize everything we've said in the one line at the top. So whatever is here, whatever the return type is, will always be in the squiggly brackets after the arrow. What it's telling you at a glance, 
arrow squiggly bracket something is I return one of these. So cell state takes an X and a Y and returns a cell state. Okay, that take a breath, take a breath, structure. take a breath. It's sinking in. So one of the things that bothers me is what I've been telling Bart in the background is this whole nonsense of cell state returns cell state, and they're two totally different cell states. So the first one is a function because it says cell state parentheses X comma Y. What it returns is the state of that cell, which is a variable called cell state. It's a type definition we have given that name, which is clickable to help you see what it is. So cell state, a valid cell state, a Boolean, a number or a string type Boolean or number. Or so string. cell state is a variable type definition. Yeah, it's see, a type typed, definition. Uh, see it. Hmm. How the reason I'm, I'm still wound up about that is you've got type error. What would an example of a type error be on cell state with leading caps? Cause cell state Okay, but cell state is a returned value, so it can't have a type error. So the type error would come if you... But you said it was a type. This. Why can't there be a type error for a type? a type? Okay, a type... Okay, a type... I said it was a type definition. So it's a piece of English we have given a name to, right? It's this piece of English. Okay, cell so... Cell state is that piece of English. Do, do we have to call it a type when type actually has a, a specific meaning? So click on cell state again, the leading caps version that you say is a, uh, a type... It isn't a type. The type is Boolean number or string. Okay, it's a type definition. It's a type def. It's a type, it, what does it type is, definition mean? It means it's a piece of English that describes what something is in a way that just saying it's a number, a Boolean or a string. See, the English, English, English is that. The English it's is English. a valid cell state. Of, no, please go back. Okay. The, 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 the English is a valid cell state, a Boolean, a number or a string. I get mm-hmm. that that would be a, a definition. That sounds like a definition. Mm-hmm. Definition. Yes. Its type is Boolean number string. But what is cell state? It, that isn't either one. It's not English and it's not the type. Cell state is a type definition. It is purely a conceptual thing that exists for the purpose of explaining stuff. It, right, and the convention is, is to name it the exact concept. same thing as the function. Right, because the function is called after what it fetches, and the description of what it fetches is called after what it fetches. <sighs> I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this one, Bart. For the audience, this isn't the first time Bart and I've had this conversation. It's been in text where there's been many capital letters with "What are you talking about?" in there. Wow. So we've got a function called cell state. It's going to return something. And the thing it's going to return is we are choosing to call cell state with capital letters, leading caps, but that's not a variable. We aren't going to use capital C, capital S cell state. We aren't going to use that later as an input to something else. No, that is a description of what is being a, y- y- Yes, Yes or no? Did you say no? We are, you agree with me? We are not going to push that into something else. The capital, capital C, C, capital S. Capital S state will never appear in your code ever. There we go. There it is. That's what I was looking for. Okay. So you, yeah. we, this is the part we've had discussions about. You could call it something else. The state of the cell. You could call it that, but you're choosing to call it the same name, but capitalized differently. 
yes, because I, you say people, other people do that too. Be, yes, that is the industry. That is that is the accepted convention. Which I've asked you to prove, but you haven't yet. But okay. Well, <laughs> uh, suggest it was a really good way to to prove it is just to pick a few really. Yeah, you told me to read seventy million lines of code of other people have just written, and I don't at random, right? You don't have to, you don't have to read every one. Don't know how to do yeah. that. Uh, okay, this does but, help. Yeah. So the blue things. Is this a true statement? Those blue things that are linked to things are not variable names. They're not, um, they're all made up Englishy words. No, calls no, is... No, no. When you, when you click, they're all clickable links. So in this, in the sidebar here, cell state is a clickable thing. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Being blue just means I am a link. You can click on yeah. it. And if you click on it, you can scroll and see what it is. So cell yeah. state comes under the heading type definitions. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I was just hoping for some some visual right. thing, but you're I, I get it. Okay, I, I'm closer. I, I closer. Okay. put a pin in the fact that I plan to still whine about this, but uh, I, sure. I'm I'm easily a hundred percent closer than I was before. A hundred percent. Wow, that means we're finished. <laughs> no, a hundred percent closer. Is that right? Oh. No, shoot, I don't mean that. Do I? Fifty percent closer. <laughs> okay, that sounds much better. That's okay. more believable. So. The, right, so JSDoc is a port of something called JavaDoc, and sometimes it forgets it's in JavaScript land. So what we have been calling prototypes, because that's their name, JSDoc, or at least this theme, calls them classes. Oh. So this heading here, and this C next to bartofvisitor.ca.automaton, read it as a P. <laughs> it's a prototype. That prototype contains the F functions, all of these. Oh, look at that. This prototype bartvisor.ca.cell contains these. So we've got a C bartvisor.ca.automaton, and inside that we've got a bunch of stuff like cell and cell state calls and dimensions. Those are, and they have Fs. Those are functions. The Cs are yes. prototypes. Um, yeah. A prototype. I don't know how you're going to remember that. <laughs> C prototype. But where it says classes, since I'll go, I don't know what a class is, in, unless I'm talking over in CSS, I'm going to go, okay, I don't know what it is, so that must be the prototypes. Yes. Therefore, C must stand for prototype. <laughs> yes. Now, that does make a difference. Be, okay. Good. Second thing I'd like you to notice is that in the sidebar, some links are slate colored and some are blue. The slate-colored ones are the pages. The blue are the anchors within the pages. Oh, okay. So the entire class, Bartfisser Say Automaton, is one HTML page, which when you scroll, you will pass by mm -hmm. each function. If you click on cell state, you're not going to another page. It's just going to scroll to cell state within the bigger page, which is the page for Bartfisser Say Automaton. Okay. So everything from here down to here is in one file. Yeah, okay. And then they're one file. So the, the scrolling sometimes confuses people at first. Yeah. I, I just figured I'd always keep clicking the stuff on the left if I got confused. Which you can, right? And that's usually yeah. what I would do. But just to say that you will end up within a page. Like sometimes page you if you hit the back arrow, it might not do what you think because of that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, now, something you haven't seen before because I've only recently started to include them. Externals is a way of including links to stuff. So jQuery... I have included here now in an easy way the link to jQuery. It's just okay. a way of saying, if someone wants to know what on earth is a jQuery object, well, here's a jQuery object. 
Our namespaces, we've come across those before. Bartificer. The global namespace used by Bartificer Creations when publishing JavaScript APIs. It contains a namespace called CA. CA is a JavaScript API for creating cellular automaton. CA contains two classes, automaton and cell. Hmm. If we click on, we'll jump us to them. Except classes are actually prototypes. Bingo. Okay. And the last thing is globals, and that's where our type definitions go. Ah. I kind of like the type definitions, even though I don't like the way they're named. Yes. (laughs) They're very handy to have because they give you nameable pieces of English. So when I say a single jQuery single table, what do I mean? Well, I mean exactly this. Hmm. So that's why you want them. So that's everything in the sidebar. And so that is our documentation. And that is what you would want as a user of the API. By the way, you've accidentally scrolled to a a, uh, global type definition that helps me understand this lower uppercase cell state thing. You got something called step function, which apparently is a function, which has two inputs, current state and neighbor states, and it returns cell state. Yes, that is correct. That is exactly. Look at that, because that makes some sense. Hmm. Good. Okay, so this is what I'm hoping you see from here is if you want to build a cellular automaton on your web page, this is what you need. If I click on a function at random, say dimensions, I do not know how it works. I just know that it gives me back an array of numbers. And it doesn't take any arguments because there's nothing in the brackets. So dimensions, no arguments, returns me an array of numbers. Hmm. It throws an error if the accessor is called with arguments because it's a not supposed to have accessor. any. Yeah. What does a read dot uh, uh, angle bracket number mean? I don't it's think a I've seen that before. You haven't because I have. I, I, I'm. I'm slowly introducing more. So it means an array of numbers. In other words, Hmm. I'm going to give you an array. And in fact, I'm going to be more explicit. I'm going to tell you the array is going to contain numbers. I could have just said array, but I'm giving you more. Okay, but this is a type definition. So you have written it in a way that's probably some standard naming convention. uh, But that's what it means. Well, in this case, array is a prototype. It's a standard prototype within JavaScript. Every array has a prototype array. So it's actually, remember I was saying there were three things a type could be. It could be a a basic type. It could be the name of a prototype. Uh, It could be one of those things we made up. Yeah. This is option two. Ah, okay. And that's why it's not a clickable link to to our global array of type definitions. It's just part of JavaScript. Yes. Okay. Okay. I see. Uh, And number is the first of our possible three options. Yes. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. JavaScript type. Yeah. Right. Script so we have an array blue. of numbers. Is what okay. That means, which is even more useful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This would have been real handy a couple of weeks ago to know all this stuff. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm kicking myself for not having realized how important it is to do this. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited that you have a video for people to watch that will take far less time to watch than listening to me ask. 800 questions over and over again. But hopefully this this will trigger people to say, okay, now let me go see what they were talking about. Well, I think it's important we have both because they're both, they're different valuable, but very valuable. Now, there's one more thing I want to do before we finish up. It won't be long, but it is important we do. So remember I told you the point of view of the public documentation. Yeah. Well, 
we're not we we wear both hats we use our own api so we certainly get value from this but we also write the api and in theory we will be maintaining it for many years and we'll be adding new features and we'll be tweaking and we'll be chopping and we'll be changing so actually we yes we want to be able to use it as a black box but maybe we should make it a semi-transparent black box <laughs> maybe we actually want to see translucent as it were translucent maybe we want to see both views the inside stuff and the outside stuff Okay. So that's what the developer docs are for. Oh, those yeah. You told us docs. not to open those yet. Exactly. And I'm not going to, I'm going to say, wait another two minutes and then open them. <laughs> so if we go back to bartificer.ca.js and we scroll to one of our automata or one of our prototypes, uh, let me find one. Actually, let's do command F. Uh, I am looking for, what do we call one of them? Automaton with a capital A. We say equals, not we say. What are we looking for? Um, I'm looking for the prototype automaton equals. There we go. Bard Fisher to say that automaton equals function. So here we're defining one of our prototypes, the one named automaton. Okay. And so in our prototype, we're going to have inside it data that we're storing. He says, yes, we are. Here we go. Okay, it's so moving around it, a lot, so tell me when you're going to stop. My poor CPUs are not happy with Skype on this stuff. Okay. okay. So we have this dot underscore dollar container equals dollar container. That's an internal detail that is of no interest whatsoever to a black box user. But to us, as the maintainers of this code, it's vitally important. Mm -hmm. What did I call the data inside my object and... What, what did I, I mean? It is. <laughs> okay. What do I mean? Yeah. So there are actually JS doc comments in front of every one of these, this variables. Oh, and if it starts with this, it knows it is a, uh, an internal variable and therefore yes. not necessary to the regular docs, but it would be necessary to the dev docs. Not quite. It's not oh. that smart because sometimes, depending on how you write your API, you may actually want to expose some properties. So the magic thing is this tag here, at private. At private tells Oh, okay. I thought it was just brilliant all by itself. You no, know, but it figures out that dollar underscore container is a property of the prototype all by itself. So I don't have to tell it in the doc comment which prototype this belongs to. I have some English... I say it's private, and then mm -hmm. I say it's type. Yeah. So English, at private, at type. And that's all I say. And it, that's it, enough. Is that the only thing you mark is, uh, is variables? There's nothing... If I had hidden functions, I would mark those in exactly the same way we've marked okay. everything else. I just okay. put at private okay. inside as well. Okay, gotcha. So everything we've done before, and I could even make an entire prototype private. If there was like a little inner prototype within a prototype or something, I could mark it as at private. I can at private anything. Okay. So these at privates are the key. If it has at private, it doesn't show up in the normal docs. But if we run the other command, so basically there's a command line flag minus minus private, mm -hmm. which basically says, show me the private stuff too. So if I now rerun this, so if I now say npm run generate minus docs minus dev, it will create a new folder for me. Shouldn't take too long. Bing. Now, is it going to replicate everything that was in the uh, regular docs and yes. have this, or will it be just this? 
No. So the developer docs are a superset of the normal okay. doc. Okay. Which I only use that word because you're an engineer and that is the clearest way to say that. <laughs> okay. So if I if we open those, open control A. What the hell? What the who the what the Oh, I didn't hit the <laughs> control key. That'll be why. So docs minus dev. So they are very similar. Yeah. But there's more here. So we have all of these functions that didn't exist before. That are all under namespace. They're under the namespace bartificer.ca because they're actually inside. They're physically inside bartificer.ca. Huh. Okay. Remember, we have a, an, an anonymous self-executing function. So these functions do not exist to a user of our API. They only physically exist in between the curly brackets that make up that self-executing anonymous function. So the only physical place that they could be is in, they can only be used in there inside that namespace. So they really are internal. And if I click on one, it actually says private comma inner. In other words, this actually point at the top exist. one, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that's what we're really looking at. Yeah. So private comma inner is cell state. So this is a function named is cell state, which is private. So it's not in the public docs, and inner means it's actually not in the global scope. So someone right. who's a piece of code that's that's not in our scope can't even see this function. It's invisible to them. Mm-hmm. So that's marked by saying it's inner. It returns a boolean. So again, the structure is the same parameters and so forth, but it's marked as private and inner. Okay. And if we go to bartfizzerca.automaton, this is what we had before. Members. Oh, this is new. The members are all of this variables. Private. So why don't we see those referenced in the sidebar? Why do we have to scroll down inside to find them? Because the makers of this theme felt that that would Get make too the sidebar messy. too cluttered. Yes. Could have had so a members button. Some themes have an M icon and then every member. It is up to the theme to decide how to display okay. what the comments mark So up. members are variables? Members are this dot somethings. This dot somethings. And classes are functions. And pro- classes are prototypes. Prototypes. And at the top, methods are functions. Yes. <laughs> They're all they're the synonyms for the day. Yeah. <laughs> we need a magic decoder ring for that Bart. And I have every time I mention these things, I do always list all the synonyms, right? So you're way, way back in like all the early PBSs when I say function, I used to say function or method. Yeah. And yeah. then I stopped saying function or method. Yeah, you did say it enough that when I saw method I said, Oh, they're talking about functions. But I like how they call them methods and then put an F. <laughs> that's a really good point. <laughs> I wonder if that's that the makes theme. No sense. Can we edit the theme and just change the word class to say prototype? I may fork the theme. (laughs) This is where, Bart, you're supposed to to say, sure, go ahead. Well, you have no idea how much I'm itching to spend a weekend of my time doing this. (laughs) I don't have a spare weekend, right? That's the problem. But I'm I'm getting so tempted to spend one anyway. Remember when you were fat and lazy and had all that time? I know. <laughs> anyway, All so right. a member is slightly different syntax. Instead of an arrow to the return type, we have a colon to the actual type of the property. So dollar container is a jQuery single container. Um, 
Let me see what else have we got here. Underscore grid is an array of arrays of cells. Oh, that makes my head hurt. I'm not even going to ask. I know you don't like 2D arrays. (laughs) I also don't like the fact that they do a colon and immediately write the word. So when you spend that weekend, put a space in there for crying out loud. That's true. When they're clickable, it's not so bad. But if they're not clickable, it is actually very confusing. Well, and if you're going to put it right next to something, why didn't you put it next to the thing to the left? Like, I don't know, every colon in the entire universe. That is true. That is very weird. It's exactly the opposite. Ray, not grid, colon array. Yeah. Oh, now that you've said that, I can't unsee it. (laughs) Well, because that also confused me. I saw a colon earlier and I was like, what? Yeah, I think, oh, damn, I think my weekend is just... <laughs> Actually, no, I have to do show notes. I haven't even started on stuff for tomorrow's Security Bits. So it's going to have to happen after Security Bits. But I, I have this horrible feeling that I have nothing planned for Sunday and it's going to rain Sunday night. Oh, okay. So there's a good chance there'll be Minami underscore Bartificer released soon as an open source project. Oh, I like punishing you with this kind of thing. Well, Bart, this was a lot more fun than I I even hoped it would be. When you said you were going to do this, I thought, oh, man, this can be boring. We already learned about the documentation. But this was this was really, really cool. Can I can I close this out with a palate cleanser? Oh, yes, please. So Bruce Wilson for you to provide one. I do. And you know what it is, actually. Bruce Wilson, who was on the show, uh, is under the Twitter handle at use the data. And he sent Bart and me a tweet from a guy named Ben Halpern. And I have to swear to quote this exactly, and it's just too good not to use it exactly. Ben Halpern wrote, Sometimes when I'm writing JavaScript, I want to throw up my hands and say, This is bullshit! But I can never remember what this refers to. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It is so, so good. Because, yes, that is the perennial problem. This dot something. Great. What's this in this particular instance? Try say it. <laughs> anyway, okay, this was fun, Bart, and I do appreciate two extra weeks. I'll probably uh, to get the homework done. I'll probably still have trouble getting it done on time with uh, Max coming up next weekend, but we'll see. Mm. If you'd like some time off, I have enough material for a light. Ooh, that might be fun. Well, it- I have. I I didn't. Well, okay. So first off, thank you, listeners, because I mentioned on Twitter that I needed to buy some software and that I actually didn't have any money and that maybe if people were to click the donate buttons on let'slashtalk.ie, then I could buy some software I wanted. Well, people did. Oh, fantastic. Which means I have stuff to review. Oh, that's excellent. Well, let's uh, do a plain old review show next time. We could. Let's talk about that. uh, Let's talk about that later. And but we should close this show out. We should indeed. So I should say until next time, whenever that is, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal. Or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at PodFeet or email me at allison at PodFeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to PodFeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at PodFeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.